Hello and welcome to Halo's Heaven Radio. I am here with Rick Sadres. Hey guys. And Rahul Seti. Hello and welcome. And we are doing something a little different. Today we are going to talk to you about one-year contracts. What do you think about them? Are they good? Not good. Indifferent? We are going to discuss. So that being said, let's get some quick reactions. Good or bad, Rick? <laughs> well, I think what Jessica meant to say is we're mostly going to be complaining about one-year contracts <laughs> and talk about the problems with them. We'll, we'll go into detail about the uh, good parts of them too, but... I think most of this is going to focus on how they uh, can affect the team negatively if you don't use them properly. Okay. So mostly bad. That's mostly exactly bad. right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Rahul? Yeah. I think I think that one-year contracts can be positive if they're used properly, um, but they're not a replacement for an entire strategy. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll talk. Let's go in. Let's go ahead and jump in and start talking about uh, some of the pros and cons of one-year contracts. Um, let's start with the good, because I think there's going to be a lot more discussion around the bad. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the good things that one-year contracts bring you. Well, piggybacking off of what Rahul said, um, I think the biggest thing that people need to remember is that a one-year contract exists in order to supplement a team, not in order to be the entire team. And so when you're using it as a supplement, for example, what the Astros did with Carlos Beltran. I don't know if that was, if that was exactly a one-year deal or not, but they used it like one. That is the kind of moves you need to make, and that's why the trade, trade deadline exists in the first place. You use it to supplement the team as you go. You don't use it to make the whole team as it is. So that's one way that a one-year contract can be a very good thing is when you use it to supplement the parts that you already have. Sure, and you mentioned the trade deadline, but that's more of a different, little different situation where you're supplementing halfway through the season. But exactly, right. but they're using yeah. the same manner. So when right. you use the one-year contract, the whole point of it is to help you in that moment when you're already in a situation where you feel that you can compete. The problem is, well, we're gonna go into the problems later, but <laughs> <laughs> we will. Yeah, um, and we should uh, we should keep in mind that a one year deal, um, you're not, you're not getting the top talent on a one year deal. Um, your top talent is typically drafted and brought up through your farm system, and then that's not a good, that's not a positive role. to your major league organization. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're still trying to focus on good things. Okay, okay, great, gotcha. Bring, bring that back up momentarily. But the other side, another side that is also a very big positive, which is why they're good as supplemental um, options, is that number one, you know, they don't increase your uh, luxury tax threshold in a way that is um, binding. You know, you can easily get rid of the contract. You can trade it if you need to at the deadline. You can also, you know, down the road next year, the year after that, you'll have other options available to you, open salary. So that's the reason why it's good as a supplemental tool. Yeah, yeah, I had affordable on my list as one of the things that one-year contracts are good for is they're generally more affordable. Less long-term payroll hit, for sure. Um, the per-season salary, maybe not as different, but yeah, they're, it makes them more affordable. And then also, yeah. when you feel that you have minor league talent that is in the works, that's going to come up pretty soon, or you feel that the free agent class next year is going to be pretty solid... You can go ahead and use it as a stopgap temporarily 
in order to get to that, in order to bridge that um, difference, th- that gap, so that you can actually get to the minor league talent or to the better free agent con, uh, free agent year. Yeah, that's 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 very true. Uh, I think another positive is kind of obvious: is you don't have to deal with them very long if they suck, <laughs> right? You you've got them for a year uh, tops. It's a little easier to cut um, a player who's only there for a year, depending on how much you're paying them. Yeah, very yeah. low risk and high floor. And uh, it's also possible that using a one-year contract, you can sign a player um, and overall gain more talent to your team than you might have originally expected. Um, and that's sort of the way the offseason went last year and the year before that is towards the end of the offseason, the free agent market sort of fell through. And a lot of teams were able to scoop up a lot of talent on these one-year deals. So that's another plus as well as getting more talent than you may have originally expected um, if you have a flexible um, payroll. Would you say the Angels have gotten more talent than they expected on any one-year deals deals over the last few years? I would not. <laughs> no. Not okay. particularly. No, really haven't. So I think another positive, and this is more of a positive for the player, uh, there's a lot of players who just aren't getting the offers. Um Matt Harvey, perfect example. Once really good, he just wasn't going to get the offers, and really all he had was a one-year deal to try to prove himself. So one-year deals from a player perspective uh, can give somebody a chance to say, "Hey, look at me. I'm still relevant. You know, sign me. I can, I can, I can perform." Yeah, on a player-by-player basis, one-year contracts for especially for the players are very good because they give them a chance to prove themselves and earn their way back into a long-term deal. So on a player-by-player basis, it's a good idea. But when you come to teams as a whole, you kind of want to stay away from relying on them. And I guess we can go ahead and go into that now. Yeah, we we can certainly do that. We didn't have any more positives to talk about with the one-year deals. Probably not. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Uh, let, let, let's certainly... We have... <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you don't want to think about that for a bit? <laughs> yeah. All right, there, there are definitely a lot of that. yeah. There are a lot of drawbacks, uh, obviously, with one-year contracts. Um, they obviously haven't worked out very well for the Angels the past few years. So let's let's jump into uh, some of the reasons why one-year contracts are not um, that great for the team or for the fans. <laughs> well, one of the biggest things that people tend to forget is that a one-year contract is going to cost more. And it's not going to cost more in terms of, you know, long-term financial options. It's not going to cost more in terms of, um, you know, risk necessarily to the actual team. What it is going to cost more is in terms of actual dollar amount that same year. And while some people don't see that as a problem, especially when they're thinking, oh, well, it frees up the salary for next year, people still have to remember that in that same year, they still have to allocate the salary and allocate funds appropriately to other assets. You know, when you allocate $11 million to Matt Harvey and God knows how much to Trevor Cahill, you lose the ability to pay, you know, other relievers, other pitchers. You lose that flexibility and then you're stuck with the waiver wire again. You're stuck with minor league contracts. Mm-hmm. So when you get into multiple one-year deals like Cody Allen, for instance. 
then you start to lose your financial flexibility that same year. And if you feel that you're a contending team, that's not a good thing. Right. Do you think this is kind of a little bit of a sidetrack here, but do you think players on one-year contracts are as committed to their team or invested in their team? I definitely don't. And I also think, it actually reminds me, that actually reminds me that um, fans in general won't feel as invested in their team either. You know, their whole point of watching is hoping that they bounce back enough in order to be traded for assets for the future. Yeah. Fans don't care about those players. Fans don't care about that team. They care about the future. But if you're on the actual team side, on the ownership side, you want the fans to be invested in the team. You don't want them to hope on the future like the Mariners do or the Padres do or the Marlins do or the Rays do because you'll never have any fans. That's an underrated point. And as a fan, as a person i'm not a Rays fan obviously but if i were a Rays fan it'd be awfully hard to watch my team when i never know what's what my team's going to look like or the a's for instance a's fans are constantly complaining about how they never know what their team's going to look like marlins fans they don't even exist anymore so (laughs) when you don't have that kind of structure and um security in knowing who your guys are you're going to lose your fans. Yeah, and as a fan, why would you ever buy a jersey or buy merchandise of a player that you think might be traded in the future? Right. Exactly. And you won't wear them at games. And that's less revenue for the team as well, like you said. Speaking of the A's, speaking of the A's, if they had a sense of humor, they should have a jersey called player to be named later and then just like number zero or something. <laughs> 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 like you don't know who you're going to get. Um, the Angels have done a good job on that, obviously locking up Mike Trout. Um, mm-hmm. Albert Pujols, love him or hate him, he's been around. He's going to be around. Um, there's names people can attach to the Angels. and Exactly. Um, that's definitely more endearing to the fans, as you've been saying. And I don't, I don't necessarily feel that the Angels have done a bad job with locking up fan favorites. I don't feel like they've, for the most part, let fan favorites go. Um, obviously, there's a couple exceptions like Napoli and stuff. But when you look across the board, in general, they've done a pretty good job of locking people up. But what happens is a lot of times you're going to have players that do well. And when those players become fan favorites, like, say, uh, Tommy, Lost- Tommy Lastella, right? Um, he gets pretty good. I mean, I know he's not on a one-year deal. He was actually a trade acquisition. But people don't even see him as a long-term option. Even though he has another year on his contract, even though he's been playing impressively, even though he's doing miles better than anybody could have ever possibly predicted, uh, people don't see him being on the team next year. They see him as a trade asset. And personally, I don't think that that's how a fan should look at a team. People should not embrace the tank. The tank is a lie that front office is propagated in order to make sure that their fans don't leave them for another year or two while they try to, you know, maximize profit. Yeah. I, I do want to correct you real quick on Tommy Lestella, though. It, uh, a one-year uh, contract, but he's arbitration eligible. So the well, Angels could keep him one year. year, right? Yep, yep. So they could keep him for 2020 if they don't think Renhifo or whoever's ready, if Koza, if they cut bait on Cozart. They could certainly keep him around. 
Yeah, but that's the point. Like, like fans in general, everybody, like if you look in the comment sections, everyone sees him as a trade asset. They don't see him as a long-term person or even just for the next year. I mean, if our if our if our um, contention window includes next year, but we trade Tommy Lastella away, I mean, we're going we're right back where we were starting, where we have a hole at second base or third base. Right. Yeah. If Luis Renjifo is yeah. ready, I mean, I that agree. still means that we have an, a utility infielder hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think yeah. I mean, kind of a little sidetrack, but we probably need him next year. I think. Yeah. Exactly. I mean. Rick, back to your point about, you know, this sort of bill of goods being sold to fans that's saying, hey, if we rebuild, you know, we're, we're going to gut the team and we want you to watch. We want you to keep, you know, being interested in our team. There's no guarantee. Um, there's no guarantee of that at all. And yet it's being sold as if it is all the time through one year deals. Hey, we're going to um, we're going to keep your fan interest and we're we can somehow in the Angels' case, we can somehow stay afloat while we bridge the gap to the future, but, oh, hey, we're also contending. Um, and it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing is, like, and this is also related to that, but it's the other side of the coin, No, there's no guarantee that the player wants to stay either after the one-year contract is over. People can say all, all, all they want that, you know, oh, well, we can go ahead and resign if we need to. Who says the player is going to want to? You know, they did it so they could bounce back, so they could earn more money, so that they could test free agency. They only did this because you were cheap, and every other team was cheap. Mm-hmm. And so, or conversely, you're probably going to lose them afterward, if they, especially if they're a high-profile asset and they and they perform. You're not going to keep them, especially if you're doing one-year contracts in the first place. That just shows that your team is cheap in the first place. Yeah. Conversely, the reason why a player signed a one-year deal at your organization instead of a different organization is because you offered him more money to play there as opposed to somewhere else. In most cases, yeah, I think that's true. Or, or you, you offered him a money. Lot nicer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many how many offers do you think Justin Bohr really had? Probably I two or three. A pretty good amount. I don't know. I think really? he was. Right. I think so. I think. I think. Yeah. I think so too because he's controllable and he also had the walk rate but anyway we're getting off track again (laughs) but (laughs) but the the one of the biggest things that and this is what most people think about is that when you rely on one-year contracts you're betting on too many bounce backs or grabbing too many low upside parts for it to matter and generally speaking when you're relying on that many bounce backs a good portion of them, probability-wise, they're going to fail. Yep. And if you're still contending, you can't rely, especially if you're a um, a probabilistic uh, manager like Osmus, or <laughs> or a general manager like Epler, and your um, whole job and your whole background is in math, then you know that the chances <laughs> of it working are minimal to none. You know, the whole point of it is to stop gap enough so people will be interested enough to not get your not your, your organization into the red. Mm-hmm. And then we should also understand that how can fans be interested in players that didn't want to be signed by other other clubs and are only in it for the short term? And not to mention that, 
but odds are that they're at the tail end of their career, their best days are behind them, and now you're hoping them to, you know, hopefully bounce back to average. How can fans get excited about being average? They're, well, they're not going to, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's certainly one of the problems. Oh, I don't know. It seems like we're pretty happy with mediocrity. <laughs> Are we? I'm not. And I don't want mediocrity. I want to win. And that sort of brings us to the point that, you know, the Angels have been doing this for so long. It's almost, it's almost a half decade now doing the same thing like this. Um, and you can argue sort of the exact number of years that this has been going on. But at some point, we have to ask ourselves, are Angels fans now content with being average and missing the playoffs every single year? And they're willing to hope and dream every single year without sniffing. I mean, those those are fair questions. And I think I hear a lot of fans, um, just to play devil's advocate here, um, Angels' hands are tied. What else can they do? They've got these big contracts. I think a lot of fans are just saying, well, they're doing the best they can with the money they have available. So what would you say to that situation? Because they're saying people are si- they're signing these one-year deals because that's all they can do. Well, I would say that professional sports organizations have a lot more money than you think that they have. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone has, has really read into the Angels TV contract that they signed before the actual Pujols deal, but I want to... I want to say they get something like $150 million for 10 seasons or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so definitely over a billion-dollar contract. If your opening day payroll is, you know, like this season, our opening day payroll was, what, $162 million, yeah. $165, something like that. Are you telling me that the Angels cannot generate um, more revenue to cover the, the gap between the TV contract and their actual opening day payroll, that's just simply not true. You know, the Angels are in a huge metro area, um, one of the most attractive markets in the country. There's a reason why they were able to convince advertisers to give them such a huge TV deal in the first place. And the reason is because fans, there are a lot of fans, and a lot of fans spend a lot of money here. And this is the one of the top 10 markets, if not top five, in the nation for baseball. And the payroll should reflect that at some point. It should. And the Angels are usually pretty high up in payroll. But I, I don't think the last few years they've been, it seems like they've been keeping it a little more lean and uh, lean-ish for the Angels. And signing these one-year deals is one way they've been doing that. Well, that's the thing, and that's the other thing that I would say to those people that would be playing devil's advocate here is, and we've talked about this before, but we had our opportunities to fill these holes. We've had many opportunities to fill these holes. Lots of people were signing long-term contracts. We kept talking about the 2018 and 2019 off-seasons. Every single, every single year, we'd be like, oh, we're just stop-gapping until we get to that 2018 off-season. Oh, we're just stop-gapping until we get to that 2019 yeah. off-season. We kept saying that For year years. after year after year. And then finally, the really good free agent years pass us by, and we're all like, well, what happened? And now people are like, oh, well, now we have to go ahead and stick with the one-year contracts. Well, first of all, that's our own doing. And or, second of all... Or hoping hoping that Nolan Arenado becomes a free agent for years. Yeah, exactly. 
or second of all, and this is this is the other part that I was about to say, um, a lot of those people that we were relying on in the future, like 2020, 2021, 2022, um, they're no longer on the board because they signed extensions. And people can say all along that all they want that um, you know, oh well, nobody could have predicted the uh, the extension wave to hit baseball. Actually, a lot of people could have. It was actually becoming more and more clear with the A, um, the compensation pick problems that were happening, the CBA changes. All of these things led to the situation that we're in now. And so saying that we shouldn't have seen this coming is... And also, by the way, it is literally a front office's job to predict what is going to happen, both in their what's going to happen in their organization and also what's going to happen around the league in terms of both trades, extensions, free agent signings, CBA, and in general, just, and that's in addition to, you know, what's happening on the business side of things. Especially in the case of Billy Epler, since his background, like I said, is in finance, you'd think that he would have the foresight to judge the baseball economy since that's his whole I mean, you would think experience in education like that's his whole thing yeah. that he learned about was financial analyst analysis so i just i think that we brought this on ourselves and everyone's saying that oh well i mean we we have to go ahead and go with the one year con i mean they're they're not looking at the bigger picture we've had the opportunities we kept putting it off we kept saying to ourselves, oh, this is fine, while we sit in a burning house, just like a meme. <laughs> <laughs> I know the one exactly you're talking about. Exactly. Like, that, that's us. That's every single one of us. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. A lot of fans are kind of settled into this mediocrity. And I think you nailed it when you said, oh, these one-year deals are fine because we're just getting by to the next free agent class. Oh, wait. Next year, oh, the one-year deals are fine because we're getting by to the next free agent class. But you need to – those stop gaps don't work eventually. Yeah, and it's not just the one-year yeah. deals. I know that's what we're focusing on here, but it's also the waiver claims. It's also the trades for minor league talent or the free agent uh, minor league talent. Like it's all of these little stopgap measures that the Angels keep making that has put us in this predicament. And now we're going to get to the 2020s, and there's not going to be any applicable free agents because everybody, and I mean everybody, is either going to A, sign an extension, or B, they're going to be one of the few people that actually do reach free agency, and there's going to be such a huge bidding war that we cannot afford them. And we're going to be in on them, but just miss out. <laughs> just like exactly. this offseason, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to be, and... like, we're going to be finalists every single time. I mean, at some point, you know, a guy like Charlie Morton is too expensive. He signs for $15 million a year for two years. Um, and so far, he's put up 1.9 wins. And meanwhile, we're happy spending $20 million guaranteed on Trevor Cahill and Matt Harvey. Yeah. And let's not forget. So at some, point, at some point, it's not even about it, – it's, it's obviously about the reward over the risk. And ultimately, that's missing. And the thing that people keep – and like, like I said earlier, you could spend less on a two-year or three-year deal than a one-year deal. You can spend less. Even though the total is higher, the per year, the annum, is considerably lower. 
Because people are willing to make that security move. They're willing to take the safety. Because especially in this market, people are worried. So offer that extra deal for a lower price on a better player. Yeah. Let me ask you guys a question here. How much did Patrick Corbin make per year? I don't know, but we all said it was overspending, and so we all rationalized our way out of it. But, but but I'm I'm gonna get to a point here. So how so he's been pretty good this season, right? As a national, you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Um he's probably paid um I'm going to guess I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm going to guess like twenty two somewhere. Twenty eight. Twenty eight? I'm gonna guess twenty eight. Alright, so we spent twenty more just over twenty eight million on Harvey Cahill and Allen. What do you think our team would look like this year if we didn't sign any of them and sign Corbin instead? Or if we didn't sign any of them and we just signed replacement level players that cost us nothing. Sure. Yeah, but my, but my point <laughs> is you could you can spend more money on a longer term player. Yeah, there's risk at the end of his contract, right? Um, but you're getting you're actually getting some value out of him. Right. He right. signed a six-year, $140 million contract. Average annual salary was $23 million. Oh, right. wow. So you could, have, you could have done, you could have almost done Allen and Corbin and not done Harvey or Cahill for that same right. price. Yep. Now here's the other thing. Um, he's already at, what, two and a half wins above replacement. So he's already earned his this year's pretty much. He's already earned his pay for this year uh, in two months. Fangraphs yeah. has him at 1.7, but your point's fair. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I trust baseball reference more for uh, the runs per nine war, but... <laughs> so moving forward, what can we do differently? Sometimes these one-year contracts can work. Um, sometimes they obviously don't. Often they don't, I think, and we've pretty much determine that throughout this podcast but well the first thing to do do is get out of the rut because if we can get out of the rut then we can do it properly but until we do we're stuck in this constant cycle of just doing one year one year contracts we have to get out of this actual situation first and it doesn't just require waiting till pools is gone that's not how this works you know we're gonna have to make some trades we're gonna have to make some moves in order to get out of the situation we're going to have to have some actual farm talent outside of Joe Adele and Griffin Canning because most of our prospects have graduated now. So yeah. what are we going to do with yeah. our quote-unquote top 10 or top 11 farm when none of our prospects are left in it? I would be surprised if we're still first half of the farm system rankings. Um, well, it's going to be hard since but, everyone's gone now. But I, I would think right now before the draft, like the draft actually is is tomorrow right <laughs> uh, or what depending on when we post this we're recording this on sunday um i would think right before the draft with suarez and canning and everybody that's come up i i can't imagine we're i don't i would think we're between 15 and 20 with those guys coming up but yeah i think so as well and i um, think that in Turk's terms teeth of what would actually say that this this draft is incredibly pivotal per- pivotal all right Fair enough. Even if it does suck. Because we definitely need to restock because so so much talent has graduated, right? As far as what we can actually do, um, I think, number one, we need to assess where we are as a team and as an organization. Um, 
right now, obviously, let's talk about Billy Epler's strengths for a second, because obviously it sounds, if you only listen to this podcast, you would think that our collective opinion is that Epler is a terrible general manager, um, and that's not necessarily true. Um, so let's take a second to acknowledge Epler's strengths, and then how we can um, how we can actually move forward from this, because obviously the 2019 free agents that were that were signed to one-year contracts by the Angels are at this point, for all intents and purposes, a sunk cost. No one's going to trade for Cody Allen. No one's going to trade for Matt Harvey or Trevor Cahill. At this point, they are what they are, um, and that's that. Um, and I think we should talk about how Epler has constructed um, is very good at assessing minor league talent as well as talent on other teams and being able to make crafty trades with other general managers to get pieces that will help us in the long term. Um, Simmons was obviously the first move, but that was a long time ago. Um, The Ian Kinsler trade, both sides of that trade to get him and then trade him to the Red Sox and get Ty Buttrey, um, as well as, you know, trading David Hernandez and getting Luis Madero. Um, so situations like that is where he's able to extract talent from other organizations. But it's the free agent um, and reading the free agent market is where Epler really seems to struggle. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely so agree I think with that. The, yeah, and so I think the way that you would move forward is that in the future, you obviously have to think about where realistically assess where your team is. You know, obviously your starting core it needs a lot of work. Um, your relief core needs a lot of work. Um, your position players, for the most part, are okay, um, but they could be improved. And so I think the way that you move forward is see, okay, how much money do I have? And then make a list of, you know, the quality free agents that you would want. And based on your projections, the maximum amount that you would pay. But don't think of that as a hard number. Um, You need to read the free agent market and think about where is the best value going to come from. And then go after that. Not go after whoever is cheap and available. Um and cheap, quote-unquote, you know, just because they're going to bounce back. Um, That's not really a sustainable strategy to build your team. Right. Um, As Rick said in the beginning, it's how you supplement a team, but that's not how you start. Um, Yeah. Anything to add? So, yeah, I have, yeah, it's, it's a way to supplement the team for sure. Um, I think the Padres, uh, I see the Padres all the time living in San Diego and say what you want about Eric Hosmer. The Padres weren't quite ready to compete, but they didn't go out and sign a bunch of one-year deals. They actually started signing long-term contracts. I think because they saw the value in having somebody around for longer term and building that rapport with the players and seeing what's going to happen in one year, two years, not necessarily this year. Eric Hosmer is their best hitter this year, one of their best hitters, believe it or not. Um, he struggled the first year, but but they haven't gone out and done stop gaps 
like the angels have been doing. So I think they're seeing that and it's showing their second place in their division. Um, they're playing pretty well. Uh, I don't think you need to be afraid of longer term contracts over one year contracts because they're going to pay off eventually. I think that the thing that the Padres were doing there is a good idea in theory. Um, the problem with that being that Hosmer is literally the uh, epitome of a boomer bust type guy where he either has a year that's <laughs> yes. absolutely awesome or he has a year that just like blows. So sure. I don't know what they're thinking as far as the person, but as far as the actual act of signing long-term deals and signing extensions and things like that, I think that the baseball economy was right to move in this direction that it has where, you know, Mike Trout signed to a long-term deal. Nolan Arenado signed to a to a long-term deal. Manny Machado is now on a long-term deal. Paul Goldschmidt's on a long-term deal. Bryce Harper's on a long-term deal. All of these moves toward long-term deals, first of all, I mean, they're just good for baseball. You know, people like to see their player with the team for a very long period of time. Even if you're not an Angels fan, people appreciate Mike Trout signing the long-term deal with the Angels. But from an actual, like, business perspective, number one, you get that security for the player. You know, they feel comfortable where they are. Number two, and most importantly, the team has a franchise player or franchise players that people get to know, they get to love, people like Garrett Anderson, Tim Salmon, mm -hmm. people like that, Jim Edmonds, things like that. You get them on those long-term deals like that. Number one, they cost less per year. And if they have a better year, that, say, that one year, and then you re-sign them again, guess what? You're going to pay more now. Yeah. Right? That's true. Mm -hmm. Or, like I said, if they have a really good year that one year, and then you want to extend them, but they were like, oh, no, you, you were too cheap with me. There's plenty of people like that. Mookie Betts is like that. Mookie Betts doesn't want to sign an extension with the Red Sox because they've been cheap. They, he wants to get some money now. Lots of players have done that, too, where they were like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and make my money that you didn't give me before. And so... There's just lots of different reasons why, but the biggest thing, I mean, I think the extension was the only logical next step, and that's where baseball's going to now, and if you don't have the players in your farm, which I don't think we do outside of maybe maybe Adele, mm -hmm. then you can't rely on free agents anymore. It's not going to get there. People are going to sign, sign extensions. It's just what's happening. Yeah, that's certainly the trend. Yeah. So I think that we've dug ourselves into a hole, into a hole, and I don't know if there's a way out of it necessarily, but if there is a way out of it, then we can go ahead and use one-year deals to supplement the team, like with one, maybe two, but you don't start filling pieces, start filling holes categorically with waiver trade deadline, with waiver trades, with waiver wire pickups with one-year deals with minor league free agents which are like absolutely the whole point of a minor league free agent is not to be a stopgap that doesn't even make any <laughs> sense that's to hold yeah. up triple a so <laughs> and to be a utility guy so the moves that the angels have been making have just been completely they've, they've set themselves up for failure yeah i think so and i, and I was going to ask you how many one-year contracts at a time you think is good and you answered and it's the same thing i thought is one one maybe two 
Uh, not three or four, right? Like that we've been doing. Yeah, and like I said, we've also been supplementing those stopgap one-year contracts with minor league free con- free agent contracts with waiver wire pickups. You know, this is not just a one, two, three kind of thing. This is a half of your team kind of thing, but we keep passing it off because his waiver wire bullpen pieces keep magically panning out. It's not going to happen like that every single year. And it's not going to happen like that most years. Yeah, that's true. So uh, to kind of bring this back around and sum this up a little bit, I think a lot of people say that there's no risk with one-year contracts. What's the risk with a one-year contract Before as we wrap this up? The biggest risk, like I said, is, I mean, we've already experienced it now. It's not a risk with the contract itself. It's not a risk necessarily with that year itself, unless your team, unless your player is so bad that they have like a six point four nine ERA or something like that. Oh, whoops, that's two of our players. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not normally a risk in that sense. It's a risk in the sense that we've already screwed ourselves because now we don't have the ability to supplement those holes. Yeah, and the, it's the a biggest risk. Kind of is- risk. The biggest risk, as as Rick alluded to, is the opportunity cost of getting players that you actually want on your team and that are far more productive than the one-year deal player that you signed in the first place. The way to maximize value is to go after the best risk-reward opportunity that is out there on the free agent market, regardless of what kind of deal it is. And that's the thing that I don't think people realize. I don't think fans realize. It doesn't necessarily mean that you just go out there and sign every single Eric Hosmer you see either. That's not (laughs) what we're saying. Sure. The whole point is not to just go out and sign a bunch of big contracts. The point is to either A, put yourself in a situation where you can use the one-year contract to supplement your team, or B, there there is no alternative. I mean, I I, I said don't embrace the tank. I don't embrace the tank. Um, I don't embrace losing on purpose, but like, yeah. I mean, at that point, it's either go ahead and try and be good enough or don't try at all. And I don't believe in option B anyway. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. All right. Anything else you guys want to add on the whole one year contract issue before we wrap this up? Not that I can think of. I would say that as a fan, you want your team to win and you want your best interest to be aligned with the teams and you should want your front office to win as well and a one-year contract relying on one-year contract as a strategy year in and year out um, does not represent an aligning of those two interests and you should know that we're not mariners fans okay we want to succeed we don't embrace (laughs) the sog Sorry, Mariners fans that are listening to our podcast. (laughs) For the second podcast in a row. (laughs) Right. All right. I think we're good. Uh, Hopefully everybody enjoyed this podcast and our discussion about one-year contracts. And hopefully it was enlightening that they are not always the best and without risk. And thank you for your time. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs)